Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. Hello and welcome to Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with your host, Michael Israel. Mr. Israel, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Eric? I'm formal today. I'm calling you Mr. Israel for a very, very good reason. Um, ah. Before the podcast started, I told you guys I love M&Ms. And today we have M&M. We have Michael and Michael. You have Michael Blumberg on the podcast today. And I don't want to get you all confused. Um, but uh, why did you bring Michael on the show today? Well, because he's quite frankly a, an expert in field service uh, consulting activities. He's been in the business nice. for uh, quite a long time, and I've known him for quite a long time. So uh, we'll let him talk more about that in just a minute. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Mr. Blumberg, thank you so much for being here. I am going to now be quiet and let Michael just ask you all sorts of questions so I can learn more about you. Okay, that sounds great, uh, Eric. And Eric and Michael, uh, thank you for inviting me to your podcast today. It's really a, an honor and a privilege to, to be here. Great. It's great to have you. So let me pick up where Eric left off. Um, and Michael, as I alluded to, you and I have known each other for quite some time. But more importantly than that, you've been in the business of advising field service organizations and warranty management companies uh, for a long, long time. And uh, your dad actually started the business many, many years ago. And I knew your dad as well. So uh, for the benefit of our audience, would you give us a little background about how the business got started? You know, how did you determine that you wanted to continue the business uh, after your father's passing? And just uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do and maybe even if you can, who some of your clients have been and what kind of work you've done for them. Uh, sure, sure. I'm, I'm happy to answer that question. And uh, to me, it's a great story. So particularly how the business got started. Um, my dad had always been a management consultant. Uh, he just started his career doing consulting. And um, around the, and he did strategic planning and market research and productivity efficiency improvement for all sorts of organizations. And then around, um, I think it was the mid 1970s, late 1970s, uh, there was a landmark a case involving AT&T, where um, a judge uh, broke up AT&T into, I think it was eight or nine different regions. And each of those regions now had to be responsible for managing service to their customers mm -hmm. and delivering service of high quality and generating revenue from services. And they didn't really know how to do it because they all had been, you know, children of Ma Bell, AT&T. And what had happened, how my dad got involved in that is uh, he was, while he was a consultant, he was also working for the Department of Defense. And to get him clearance, uh, top secret clearance and confidential clearance, they made him the Deputy Assistant uh, Secretary of Defense. And <laughs> he had an office in the Pentagon, but the guy he worked for ended up uh, taking over one of those Bell operating companies after he left the Pentagon. And so he called my dad in because my dad knew a lot about service and logistics because that's what he was doing at, at the Pentagon. 
So one by one, uh, he and his firm started consulting these different regional bell operating companies. And he he determined that this this is not just a one-off. There's lots of companies that have an install base of equipment they need to service and they need to know how to service it. They need to know what kind of software they should use to manage the service delivery. And they need to know what kind of business strategies to keep and put in place to be profitable and to, and to grow the business. Um, so it was around 1985 that I got involved in the business. I was uh, going to school. I got a, a bachelor's of arts degree in political science from Temple University and I remember one day I was home from, from school and my dad said, well, you know, you're going to graduate soon. What, what do you think you want to do? I said, well, you know, I was thinking about going to law school, but I changed my mind. I'm not sure. I think I want to go to business school, but not right away. Um, I, want to, I want to get some business experience first, but I don't want to work in a call center because that's like everyone I knew that was graduating college. If they went into business, they're working at a call center, primarily in working at Prudential, that was a local uh, employer, you know, near mm-hmm. where I went to school. He said, I, I, I know how you feel and what you, how you think about that, because I felt the same way when I was your age. So why don't you come work for me? I'll have some people in the company train you, you'll do some market research, you'll, lo- you'll learn the business. And that, that's really how I got involved. And I eventually went back to business school and got an MBA, and then continued to work in the firm. And I tried to learn as much as I could about the business that he was in as a consultant, but also about the businesses of the companies we were consulting for. So I tried to learn as much as I could about how do you build and grow and run a service business, a field service business. And we also do work with warranty management, right. reverse logistics. Right. And over the years, I had the great pleasure of working with companies like uh, Siemens and ABB and Johnson Controls and Schneider Electric. So it's really any kind of company whether it's a large enterprise, a Fortune 1000 company, or even a small, medium-sized business. And it's any company that has like a ha- has to service and support equipment that involves a printed circuit board or electromechanical devices or elect- electrical uh, equipment, that's a client. That's who we've worked with. And we've been very successful. I've been very successful in helping them solve different kinds of challenges that they might experience when it comes to running the business. Well, I know you have, and you've certainly, as we've talked about, been at it a long time. That's a fascinating story about your dad, though. I didn't realize that he had actually worked in the Pentagon. And I think it was uh, around 1985 when I first met your dad. So probably about the same time that you were just starting to work for him. So anyway, thank you for that background. I think it's uh, very interesting. And you've certainly shared with me some things that I didn't even know. So thanks very much. So let's move on to some of your consulting uh, opportunities today, I guess. And let me ask you some questions about what you're doing for some people and what you're observing. Uh, So let me start by saying, can you talk a little bit about what you see uh, are the biggest challenges that field service organizations are facing today? And what are people that you're consulting with telling you are their biggest challenges? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of different issues we're, we're working with and different challenges we're, we're helping them solve. Uh, so one is uh, field service organizations that want to generate profitable revenue from servicing an installed base of equipment. 
So we're helping them understand how do you develop uh, service offerings, how do you price them, and how to go to market. Uh, one of the challenges that field service organizations often encounter is they come up with an offering and think either because of the manufacturer or that they install the equipment, people are just going to buy the services. Mm-hmm. And there's really a bit of an art and a science in terms of how to market it, how to come up with the right offering, how to describe the offering, how to price it, and how to sell it. And then, then the next part is, well, how do we deliver those services? How do we deliver them, make a profit on them, deliver them at a high quality of a, at, and a high level of a productivity and efficiency, and we have good customer experience? And more importantly, how do we do that in light of a number of challenges we're facing? Uh, for example, there's a shortage of skilled labor. We've been seeing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's been uh, what we are now calling the great reshuff- reshuffling and the great resignation, where uh, people had left their jobs because the economy is so good. Now that might be changing. And they had a lot of money in their 401ks and investments, and they, they could uh, afford to retire early and stop working and, or just take take a, a little bit of rest from the business world. So that's another challenge. And, and then another one is um, uh, supply chain constraints brought on by COVID, where we just it's hard to find those parts. Where do you get those parts from? How do you make sure you have the right parts? How do you make sure you have the right parts in the right place? And then that leads to making sure that you have a high first-time fix rate. That when you dispatch a technician, they get there and they can fix the problem right the first time. So you're not dispatching somebody a second or third time to solve the same problem. So can you talk, talk a little bit about how technology and technology solutions are helping companies uh, deal with uh, those challenges and come through, come through them successfully? Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. The way I look at technology is it, it makes companies smarter about the decisions they have to make when it comes to allocation of resources and optimizing those resources that are needed to deliver service. So one way they're using technology is to determine which is the best technician to dispatch in any given day, any hour, any minute, you might have a number of requests from customers. The question is, which technician should I dispatch? Should I dispatch the one that's closest to them or I dispatch the one who knows how to fix the equipment? Mm -hmm. But the one who knows how to fix the equipment He may not be near them or he might be doing another call. So we've got to go through a number of different permutations of evaluating who who should I send, when should I send them, and so on. So that's that's one issue. It's the scheduling. Another one is that when the technician is there, or even before you send the technician out, that you're very clear about why you're sending them out and what spare part they might need and what other resources, skills, documentation, diagnostics they might need to solve the problem. So being able to do uh, kind of upfront uh, call handling, call resolution, or just call diagnostics before you dispatch somebody. And even when they're on the, on the site and the technician is on the site, making sure the technician has the skills, has the knowledge. So either you, you give that to them before they're dispatched or you make it, make it so that when they're on site, they can get some support remotely from an expert who can help them solve these problems. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned, and I think this is kind of tough to answer, perhaps, is the supply chain issues, and especially as it as it pertains to, uh, you know, components, computer components, et cetera. Uh, have you, do you have clients that have been challenged with this? And can, if so, can you talk a little bit about what they've done to 
kind of mitigate the impact that the supply chain is have on their having on their operations? Um, yes, yes. I've had clients that, that had those challenges. And uh, one of the ways they've been mitigating it is being more open about who they're going to buy their spare parts from. Uh-huh. So you know, maybe going into the secondary market and buying spare parts, um, putting in um, new strategies to get the defective cores back sooner from the customer. Another one is um, charging a premium for quicker spare parts delivery so that it might uh, influence some of the customers to hold off on purchasing parts so that only if they desperately need a spare part, they have they can get it quickly because they're willing to pay the premium. And others where it's just nice to have that spare part sitting around somewhere, they might mm-hmm. their their logical response was, oh, no, thanks. We don't need it that badly. We can wait. And then the other things is they could just do a better job at planning and forecasting spare yeah. You're yeah. having the right data about uh, meantime between failure and part stocking levels to, to make those decisions about what to stock and where to stock and how many to stock. Yeah. And there certainly are technologies out there today that can help companies do that kind of planning. Okay. Uh, let, let's move ahead to some, some, uh, an issue that's on the forefront of everybody's mind today. And that is of course, inflation. Uh, when you're speaking with clients, uh, field service clients, uh, what are they saying to you uh, is the biggest impact of inflation and how are they planning to, or how are they currently dealing with it to minimize that impact? Do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah. So believe it or not, not that many are, have been worried about inflation. Now I haven't hmm. spoken with anyone today since you know, there's some news on Friday over the weekend. But they haven't been yet. And I think it's because many of, them, many of them have seen this story before. And also because some of the issues they're dealing with today relates to inflation. You know, the, how you solve spare parts constraints and other resource constraints can help you with an inflationary period. So what, what they're concerned about is, is, can they make a profit? If, if the resources aren't there or if prices are going up, that's going to eat away into their profit margins. Many mm-hmm. of them have service contracts in place where the revenue has been set, the prices have been set. It's fixed. So how, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are they? Pro- how can they make profits? And also, how are they going to keep their technicians? Maybe some technicians might get scared that the company is going to run into problems, and they might jump ship and go work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very interesting because certainly technology would could and should play a role in. Uh, helping to minimize the impact of inflation in field service operations. Uh, and one of the things I'm thinking of that I'm sure you're very, very familiar with is, is um, you know, intelligent routing, optimized scheduling, so that when a technician is uh, has multiple jobs to do in a day, for example, the scheduling system, the uh, route optimization, makes sure that the technician is traveling the least amount of distance to uh, be able to take care of each one of those jobs during the day. Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's uh, yeah. That's how you get, get more out of, more out of them. And uh, you, you can, um, you, your costs aren't going up because when you're making smarter routing decisions, you're ensuring that you're getting the right technician there with the right parts and right skills. So if you have to go back a second or a third time, it's costing you money. And also if you're, you're optimizing the route, you're spending you're spending the least amount of mileage and gas to get there. So oh, of course, yeah, 
Yeah, there's some research uh, that Rob, our uh, one of my uh, colleagues, has pulled had pulled up that said that in those circumstances, technology properly applied can actually be deflationary. So if you go from a circumstance where, for example, a technician is bouncing around from uh, one side of the city to another to take care of four jobs today, but if they have uh, route optimization uh, technology in place, uh, generally um, powered by artificial intelligence to at least some to some extent, then perhaps they can do you know five jobs in the same time and actually uh, have less mileage and less fuel costs. And of course, then a smaller uh, carbon, infl- uh, carbon input uh, footprint as well. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a very, very good point that technology can certainly help with making sure that you're spending the least amount of money possible on the um, costs for delivering service, as, at least as far as transportation costs are concerned. What, what about one of the things I want to bring up is um, the propensity today to use third parties uh, to augment your workforce. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? We're seeing that that is becoming more and more prevalent where it's not just all W-2 employees, it's also um, contract employees uh, or gig workers that companies are calling in to take care of service events, especially in those cases where the geography is such that the uh, the servicing company does not have a staff of W two service employees. Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, like it was really becoming very prevalent. Uh, it's a way of managing peaks and valleys in demand mm-hmm. and supply of technicians. So the key is to do it the right way. You know, to make sure that you have a, a control over these technicians. You know, they don't work for you. And so, the question is, how do you ensure that that people come out there? Again, with the right parts, the right skills, they do a quality job. They represent your company appropriately, um, and your 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 customers don't don't see a difference. You know, they just they're happy. So it's a matter of having the right technology that's managing those resources. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, as you know, I used to be a, a affiliated with Service Council, and uh, one of the sayings we had there was technician agnostic. Uh, and the goal of te- what we meant by technician exo- agnostic is that is if you have the right technologies in place so that you can pick the right technician and assign the right parts, it really doesn't matter in many instances whether that technician is an employee of your company or if they're a contract worker that you've also engaged to do some work on your company's behalf. So technology solutions like Zuper and others can certainly help to make sure that the uh, those disciplines can be enforced and that the customer satisfaction levels uh, are not negatively impacted when someone who's not a W-2 employee actually shows up to do the work. That's right. Thoughts? Uh, so, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's what you need. That, that's what allows you to make it seamless. You know, without that technology, you know, the technician's not going to, you know, the te- technician may need to know about the history of the equipment, the service history, you're dispatching a technician, but yeah. let's say another technician worked on maybe your own technician, maybe a, a, a contractor, maybe it's a, a you know a, a freelancer. They need to know what's been done, and likewise, when they do work and they complete the work, they need to prov- uh, close out the call and share the information about the call. Well, you know, with with the company who's dispatching them. Yeah. 
And again, you, you also you know need to know who's being assigned, uh, what time you know that they committed to the assignment, they're getting there on time. So all that information, all that data, needs to be available, uh, you know, through a service management system uh, to the uh, to all parties that are concerned, uh, the the technician you're dispatching and the company who's doing the dispatching. Yeah, things are surely a lot different today than they were when I first started back in field service. Uh, uh, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but I suspect you know anyway. Um, but, you know, it was pretty much all manual at the time. And uh, boy, we have, have we ever made significant progress with the kinds of technologies that are available today to help manage service operations and to help make sure that service operations are as efficient as possible and that the customer is being uh, treated in a manner in which they would like to be treated. Exactly. So, I think One, mobility has played a big piece of that mobility solutions. And oh, absolutely. Software. Yeah. It's become essential. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's no longer, and I don't think it has been for quite a long time. It, it's not a nice to have, it's an absolute must to have. And uh, some of the remote uh, technology solutions that are available today to uh, not only help the technicians keep track of the work that they're doing and the work that needs to be done, but also the technologies that are available today to help the technicians uh, actually troubleshoot the problem and resolve the issue uh, much more quickly than they would uh, be able to without some of the technologies like augmented reality, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's uh, really that augmented reality, just mm -hmm. like mobile devices have become table stakes for field service. Mm -hmm. You can't think of a field service technician going out to a job site without having a mobile device in their hands. Uh, same thing for augmented reality. Yeah, I'm still amazed, you know, uh, when I get home services, once in a while, someone will come in to look at the air conditioner or fix the fridge or whatever, and they still have paper forms, and it just kind of boggles my mind. Uh, most of them don't, to be fair, but uh, it's still out there. So there's still companies that are certainly targets for good technology solutions, especially when they have a, a, a staff of remote field service engineers. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about quickly, and then we'll move on to a couple more personal questions, if you don't mind. Uh, your thoughts on, uh, and you alluded to it before, the great resignation uh, and how are companies planning to and trying to deal with that so that they can uh, be prepared with the appropriately skilled staff and the numbers of staff going forward? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Sure, I'll be happy to answer that. So there's a, a lot of things that companies can do, a lot of perks and benefits they can give employees to recruit them and, and keep them. Uh, one example, uh, I found out a neighbor of mine is a field service engineer, and his company gave him a car that his wife can use. So as long oh, wow. as the mileage <laughs> under a certain amount, his wife can use the car. Uh, so there's lots of things, but I think ultimately it, real, what you need to focus on is putting in strategies and tactics to keep the employees' morale high. Because when their morale is high, productivity is going to be high. So the best way to do to keep the morale high and keep the productivity high is give them school, tools and skills that help them get the job done, particularly in the field. The last thing a field engineer wants to do is arrive at a customer site and not be able to complete the repair. It's embarrassing, oh. it's frustrating, and it's stressful. And you got customers complaining and you're CSAT score goes down. So um, you talked about being uh, technician agnostic. So that's really where I think is primary place companies should be investing in the uh, attract and retain 
employees is making sure they have those skills, those tools, those technologies that can get the job done. It gives them the knowledge they need on, on site. And so um, then after that, you know, anything you can do from the warm, warm and the fuzzies, like giving them gifts, rewards, so on, um, it's icing on the cake where the cake is the tools that increase the productivity. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things that we've been trying to promote here at Zuper, and you may be aware of this as well, is that uh, we're trying to elevate the whole perception of the field service uh, uh, of people. So uh, they're, they're not just technicians anymore. They're really partners in your customer success. And um, we believe very strongly that, and you've heard me say this before, I believe, service is the great differentiator. And services delivered by your employees. So anything you can do to make your your employees feel knowledgeable, to feel important, to feel worthwhile, to be recognized, all of those are extremely important, not only in uh, making sure that you're delivering great service to your customers, but also that you're making sure that your your employees themselves have a tremendous sense of value and a tremendous sense of importance. So I think it's a combination of technology and the way that you treat your staff and the way that you value your staff. So I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. Pardon? It's very important what you just said, Michael, and I agree with 100%. Great. Let's move back to you a little bit for just some personal information. Uh, One of the things that I know about you that I think is very, very interesting is that you do work with uh, the Tony Robbins organization, and you've been doing that for a while. Um, could you describe what you do? What got, what got you into it? And, you know, what, what do you like about it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm a senior leader with the Tony Robbins organization. Wow. And what that means is I go to his events and I'm a volunteer. And what I do at the events is I help the attendees, the participants, uh, have the best experience they could possibly have. And, you know, I'll help them ex- have a wow. You've probably heard a wow in customer service at people's sure. place, and they, they say, wow, that was amazing. So that's one of my roles. The other role is help help teach the content to them that Tony's sharing with them through, on the stage and answer their questions because Tony can't speak to every single person in the, in the audience. So that's the role of a senior leader to, to answer those questions, help teach the content help complete the exercise they're given, and even sometimes facilitate transformation or change in their life that they're seeking. Hmm. Yeah, so it's been quite an experience. And I got in that. I was, I was always um, intrigued and, and kind of amazed by what he does. And then I uh, decided to go to one of his events, and then I got hooked and went to all the events and got trained by his organization of how to do what I do for them. And how long have you been doing it now? I went to my first event probably in 2002. Wow. And then I stopped for a while and then kind of doing it hardcore since 2014. Wow. So you've been at it for a while. I just think that's so fascinating. I didn't know that about you until you and I were talking several weeks ago and you were telling me that you were participating in an event at that time. So good for you. It sounds really fascinating. And I'm sure that you're uh, very helpful in conveying the message uh, to the people that attend his events. I went to one myself many, many years ago, and I was one of those crazy people that was standing on the chair cheering, you know, so right. I know the, I know the impact he can have on people. Uh, a couple of final questions, then we'll turn it back to Eric. 
uh, what quality or value do you admire most in a person? It's a great question. So the quality that I admire the most is generosity. I don't Hmm. necessarily mean their generosity with their finances or their money, but really with their time, that they're generous with their time, that they're generous in their ability to listen, to help, to teach, to guide, to mentor somebody, just to be there for somebody. So that's really what I admire. Well, and you kind of illustrate that too with your work with the Tony Robbins organization. So you sort of put your money where your mouth is. Good for you. And uh, final question, do you have a life or a business motto that you try to live by every day? Um, Yeah, it's kind of a follow-up to your previous question. And my answer is the secret to living is giving. Oh, I love that. that. That's a nugget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So we'll capture that. And I hope you don't mind if I use it from time to time, but I'll always credit you for it. Well, credit Tony Robbins. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> the secret to living is giving. I love yeah. that. So, uh, Michael, if do you have any parting comments before we turn it back over to Eric? Uh, well, I you know wish everyone good luck who's listening to this. You know, we're I think it seems like we're in for some uncertain times. Mm. What our ability to survive is our ability to deal with uncertainty. And I think between what uh, services and solutions that Zuber offers and uh, your skills, Michael, and if you're ever interested in speaking to me, anyone listening to this is interested in speaking to me, I think we all have the resources that can help you through this and help you succeed and thrive no matter what, what happens. Yeah, I believe you do. And any queries that come our way, we'll certainly be sure to uh, refer them back to you. So having said that, Eric, let me turn it back to you to close us off for the for the day. Well, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for having this interview. Mr. Blumberg, I do have a question for you. In your involvement with the, the, the Tony Robbins organization, did you walk the fire? Oh, I sure did. Uh, okay. Five times so far. Five times. <laughs> Christmas. Okay. Well, so Yeah, but now now his feet are totally numb, so he could probably do it another hundred There you times. go. Yeah, now he dances on it, you know, the waltz and things. <laughs> hey, so now I've, I've got to, I'm going to piggyback off of that. Um, you know, a lot of businesses right now, they're walking through fire. Right now, they're, they're experiencing some heat, right, from whether it's inflation, uh, you know, the, the interest rates, things like that, just supply chain, which you spoke to. What would you say? I mean, I mean obviously, my first thought is keep walking because right? you, you got you to keep going or else you're going to burn up. Um, but besides that, what would you say to, to those businesses that may be facing down some pretty tough times? Um, well, your answer it- is not is not a bad one. It's actually a pretty good one. But what I would add to that, Eric, is you got to have the right mindset first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, and you got to know what you're getting into and be prepared for it, and know that there's on the other side, uh, there's some relief, right? Know yeah. that we've all been through this. This is we're just going through a winter. That soon it'll be spring and things will get better. So you got to have, have the right knowledge, and that means you need to continue to work on your. Also, it also means. And you need to continue to work on your business. Mm-hmm. You need to keep investing in it. Now's not the time to not focus on customer satisfaction. Now's not the time to scale back on your investments in technology. Yeah, you got and you got to stay in in front of your customers and stay on top of your customers. Well, and, and this was not a setup, folks. I promise you that. But that really does because I've been thinking about this this, this entire podcast. Is that uh, Michael Israel? That's exactly what 
I feel that the audience needs to hear for those mm -hmm. folks, those, those small businesses that are facing that and facing some kind of tough times. The one thing, and I think you were the one that brought this up, the thing that separates you from the rest of the herd is that service mentality. And I know that Zuper FM does such a great job of helping companies. Can you give some contact information in case people are interested in saying, hey, you know what? I wanna see what this could do to help change my business during this next season, which doesn't look great, but it could look great on the other end, just like Mr. Blumberg said. Sure, it's very interesting. We're just in the process of rolling out a brand new reworked website. So I would suggest to people that they go to our website, which is zuper.co. And uh, they can also contact me directly if they like. I'm, e I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Uh, I think my uh, own uh, cell number is e actually even listed in the contact information on LinkedIn. And uh, certainly they can send me a message and I'll be glad to answer any questions or, and or put them in touch with the people at Zuper that would uh, be more appropriate for them to speak with. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Israel. Mr. Blumberg, thank you so much for the time that you spent with us today. Uh, I, I learned a ton and, and it was a very positive message, which I love. And of course, our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with Michael Israel. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Zuper FM, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Zuper FM, field service your way. Insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this, when you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.